0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Buffnagel the podcast where we explore entertaining and enlightening discussions of the adventure of life and all things good. From science and technology to history and philosophy to leadership and success, we hope to give you a better understanding of the world and skills for everyone to pursue their own adventure. <music> Welcome back to Buff Niggle the podcast, where we talk about all things good and the pursuit of the adventure of life. I'm Rafe, and Zach is not with me this week because he's busy doing some other things. But um, I'm going to take this solo, and we're going to just talk about a couple good things briefly, and um, look back on some some past um, some past events and some past people, and uh, and see what we can take from all that. So. Uh if, hey, if you're new to the podcast, make sure you uh hit that subscribe button and uh leave us a five-star review and do that sort of thing for us. That'd be great. Uh, we are available at the uh the email machine at buffnagle at buffnagel.com and we're all over the internet. Find us anywhere you like. Uh share an episode with a friend and you will get a free episode. And remember to uh like I said, hit subscribe and hit the like button and give us those smiley stars and send us on your way. So today's topic is um is uh, I guess it is two ladies, and and the passing of two ladies. Um, the the first of these ladies is um, England's former queen, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, she she lived from nineteen twenty six to just recently in twenty twenty two. She reigned from nineteen fifty two to twenty twenty two, obviously, and she was married almost that entire time of her reign, uh, from nineteen forty seven to twenty twenty one. She she was. I guess in England, it's difficult to become queen because you have to fall the right way in the line of secession, and then you have to be a girl when there are no boys around, and it's kind of complicated. And Elizabeth's um, coming to the throne was uh, was similarly complicated. Her her uncle was Edward VIII, and um, he abdicated the throne in 1936 to marry Wallace Simpson, a a divorcee from the United States, and that was a, you know he what what do they say he threw it all away for love right that's and you know what I, if you want to do that you do that I guess that's all on you uh, you do you as they say I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that but that's the um, that's that's what he decided to do and and on he goes so when he did his uh, his brother uh, Queen Elizabeth's father. Became King George the Sixth when Elizabeth was ten, so she was a ten year old little princess, and her father became king, and she became what's called the heir presumptive, meaning that because uh George the Sixth only had daughters, then it could not pass to a male heir and unless unless they had another kid that was a boy, then Elizabeth would become king, which she did. In 1952, when George VI died, she she took the throne, as they say. Now, um, you know, I'm not sure how this is supposed to go, but um, she did that, uh, and she did it very well in 1952. And and that that was, um, I, I guess, that was a consequence of her upbringing. And you can see, as a child, she was raised with the what I consider classic. Uh, stereotypical British um, uh, fortitude, I guess, might be the thing. In 1939, um, when she was a child, World War II began, September of 39, and people were encouraging the royal family to leave. Uh, you, sh- you should leave. You should leave England. You should leave the the castle home of the monarchy, and you should uh, you should go evacuate to Canada. That was the the proposal, and her mother. Um, setting an example that Elizabeth would follow throughout her life uh, said, um, the children will not go to Canada because they will not go without me and I will not leave the King and the King will never leave his people. So, um, there was a, there was a tremendous sense of, of duty and, um, uh, you know, fortitude there with, with the, the family in which she was raised in, in 1940, Uh, she was 14 and she gave an address at Christmas where she addressed the, the children. And, um, she is, she said on the radio, I I imagine a 14 year old girl just talking to all of Britain. Uh, she said, we are trying to do all we can to help our gallant sailors, soldiers, and airmen. We are trying to, to bear our own share of the danger and the sadness of war. and we know every one of us that in the end all will be well. Now I, I can't imagine that, um, that she didn't I can't imagine she didn't have help with that. Um that looks like you know, all will be well. That's we've talked a little bit about um uh sister Julian and her um uh, her all shall be well statement. And I don't know if that is a reference to that, but uh Elizabeth II thought all shall be well, and she told the world and Britain that all will be well when she was 14. Now things. You know, things were hard for the next five years or so, from 1940 to 1945. Um, when she was 21, uh, on the the broadcast for her 21st birthday, she she made the pledge to the to the people of the British Commonwealth. She said, "I declare before you that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong." And what what strikes me when, when I read this, this story of her life, um, what I see is, and I've talked about this a little bit before on one of the previous episodes right after she passed, uh, I, I, this sense of duty and, and um, being obligated to do certain things and being responsible for them and taking them on. And that is what your life is. Your life is... Is your life is duty, all right, to the British, <laughs> certainly, and to the royal family. Back in 1940, that was that was how you that was how you worked, and that's how she ran her life. Uh, for 70 years, she embodied the concept of Britain, the idea of what the nation and the realm and her people could be. She was poised. She had great carriage, and humor. She was dedicated, unflappable, very devout. She was courageous and strong. And these are all virtues, right? These are ways to live excellently, right? And and she demonstrated them all. If if you needed an example of that, that's who she was, and she embodied what the realm was. Okay, so um, these ideals. Now now you can make the argument. You say, well, she was king or she was queen. She lived in the royal family, and she can. She can, uh, it's easy for her to do. She's got all the money and she's got like a crown to wear and she lives behind the walls of the castle and it's easy for her to be virtuous. It's hard for me because my life is harder. And I'm not going to argue that she, her life is the same as mine or the same as yours, however your difficult your life may be. But she did not take on a life of uh, necessarily a life of privilege, uh, the way we look at that, I, I think here in the US, we tend to look at monarchy with a um, disdainful eye. And we, I guess we could, because we think of George III, right? We think of King George uh, during the Revolutionary War, how he, um, it, at least our perception is that he was not fair to the colonies, that he was being a, he was a bad guy. Uh, and, and we, we tend to look at the excesses of royalty and how, it, um, how how monarchies elevate people who are no different than all of us uh, to some sort of higher station and therefore they have privilege that we do not have but I think that 's bump all right i think I, I think the concept of kingship should be one of service, and that 's certainly the, the the Christian approach is you know we don't we don 't talk of of Christ as King of the universe because he gets to do whatever he wants. We think of a king of the universe because he is serving all. Right. And the idea of Christian kingship or queenship is that is that one of service. And and Elizabeth really took that to heart. Uh, she lived virtuously and she represented the British ideals. All right? She she showed us that everyone can reach these virtues and she showed us she showed us the good life right this one of one of virtue and one of excellence in everything you do one of duty and grace and one of christian service and a life of joy right so my my stance has softened certainly over the last decade or so on the concept of monarchies you know monarchies are just a tool they they are a tool for governance they can be good, and they can be bad, um, just like democracies can be good or bad. Republics can be good or bad,? Right? It's a matter of the virtue of the people.? Right? We need to practice virtue if we seek to live excellently. Right? And I, I think when, when she died, what we saw was um, you know this outpouring of, of emotion. We saw British citizens lining up for, for days, just to file past. Uh, the coffin where she was lying in state, and and I think they 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 remembered they remembered what they missed. Okay, they missed the manners and the dignity and the feeling that maybe that is how we should behave instead of the selfishness that we see now. And and I think I think about the the concept of duty, and I've said this a couple times over the last several episodes, and I've said it now in this episode quite a bit. I think a lot of people think that duty is really repugnant, that the idea that I'm obligated to do anything is, um, well, you can't tell me what to do. This is, you know, it's my life. I can do what I want with me. I, I think that is faulty because in order to, in order to not understand the idea of duty well, in order to understand the duty, you cannot, um, you cannot understand duty if you do not see yourself in relationship to other people. Right. So, if you would have asked, you know, if you go talk to your great great grandparents and ask them who they are, they will tell you who they are relative to other people. I, I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a merchant. I'm a. Um, I'm a member of this community, I'm a member of this parish, I, um, I'm a citizen of this nation. That's what they would tell you they are. I'm a grandmother, I, I'm a member of the PTA. I'm a, I mean, they would tell you these things that of how they serve, how they work, and what they do in relationship to others. And I, I, I think the Queen represented that. And I think we all should represent it. I think, okay, I'll tell you. I think that's how we should live. I think we should live in service to others. I think we should we should define ourselves relative to others. I am a I'm a son. I'm a father. I'm a I'm a husband. I'm a grandfather. I'm a guy who gets a lot of emails. Apparently, um, I, I have I am defined relative to others. And. Queen Elizabeth did that same thing and she provided a model for doing that. Um, She saw herself as somebody whose job it was, whose duty, whose obligation it was, was to embody and to incarnate what it was to be Britain. She took on the role of what that meant. She took that ethereal idea and made it manifest in her, in how she lived her life. All right she turned her life into a realization of that idea. So the question needs to become for you, and I've asked this before, who are you called to be? What are you called to be? What ideals are you called to embody? What is the word that is spoken, that is manifested in you? I can't answer that. I have some ideas on what might be good, but I know that following virtue will will point you in the right direction to get. There. And that leads me to the second person here. Our second person is, um, is my mother-in-law who passed away recently at age 88. And, uh, you know, she was of the same generation, but she was not a queen. She was not royalty. She was simply a lady who lived her life. And she, but she possessed that fundamental concept of duty and you can see it when you look to see how she related herself to others right she was dutiful to her family to her husband to her son and daughter-in-law to her daughter and her son-in-law me to her grandchildren and to her great-grandchildren she she showed duty to them By being spouse, mother, mother mother-in-law, and grandmother, and now great-grandmother, to to the other people in her life that she defined herself in relation to. She showed duty to community. She worked at the elementary school, middle school. She worked at the middle school. She uh, took tickets at the football games. She mowed her lawn. She watered the flowers, shoveled the snow. You know, she stopped at the red lights. She returned her shopping carts and break for squirrels. All right. So the, the, she did the community duty things that you need to do. She lived a life that, was ref, that reflected the values of the community in which she was a part. She was dutiful to her nation. She shared with the nation a, a veteran husband and a grandson in the army she placed flowers on the cemeteries at the um, on the the memorial holidays she paid her taxes she voted she was involved in public life that is how you serve your nation and she was dutiful to her creator she she told the truth she did not covet she didn't steal she honored her parents and most of all she reflected god's love for her into her love for family community and nation. So she had an obligation and she filled it. And I, I, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, I was not, was not inside of her life and I don't know all that she prayed for, all she wished she had or didn't have, but I know that she acted in a way that was dutiful to all those things that were important, right? She was not a, a senator or a business tycoon or a Renaissance artist or a famous chef. She was just a woman, a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a great grandmother and an aunt, right? She she may not have been a senator, but she legislated a fair home. She kept, she kept, what do they call it? Um, domestic tranquility there in the home. She made sure the, the children had clothes and there was, there was a, uh, you know that that the bills got paid and the house was run okay that was the thing that she did she may not have been a business tycoon but she you know what the bills got paid and and everybody had you know they had they had what they needed to get to get through she was not a renaissance artist but you know what she had a beautiful garden and she kept the flowers going and the grass green and the house painted right all of those things and she was not a famous chef but you know what she kept her family fed unbelievable meals of spaghetti and meatballs and and uh, fried pork chops and apple pie and all those wonderful things that make a house more than a home and a, and the kitchen table more than just a place where you have a meal. She, she fed her family with, with food and warmth and love. She did what she was called to do. She showed virtues that were the same as Queen Elizabeth or any of the other Famous people in history. And so I, I think what I want to say, I guess, is that the the good life that we have, the good life that we can live is is accomplished through the virtue that we seek. It's accomplished through the duty that we perform, the obligations that we that we attend to, and the relationships that we have with others. Um, I, I look up to my mother-in-law in the same way I look up to the Queen. Somebody who did what she needed to do, and I'm going to encourage all of you out there to go do that same thing, to live that good life, to be excellent, to seek excellence, as Bill and Ted say, um, and hopefully somebody in the future will say things about you that people say about the Queen, that um, that my mother-in-law's family says about her. that we all share with her. So seek the good, be the good, and spread the good, and enjoy the adventure of life.